Hello, listeners. Do you remember when I said that in two weeks there was going to be a short episode on the Man in the High Castle show? Well, I lied because I realized there is actually quite a lot to talk about when you were doing an episode on four seasons of a show, since that's a lot of content, a lot more than a single book. And my sister who was my guest for that episode, and I actually ended up talking for over two hours. So I'm splitting the episode into two because I think that's too long. So for the episode today, we're going to be detailing our drinks and the basic plot, and then we're going to go through the show character by character, and we'll have half of the characters today and then I saved our discussions of the really big main characters for in two weeks. Additionally, I just would like to note about this episode. This episode is going to spoil the show, but it's also going to spoil parts of the book. So I really would go back and listen to my episode in the Man in the High Castle book with Sammy first. But then also, if you think you want to read the book, I would read the book before listening to this episode since things will be spoiled because we're going to be comparing the plots between the two. And now I hope that you enjoy the episode. Okay. Hi, everyone. This is Catherine. Um, And this is Kara. And this is... Cosmos in the Cosmos! So this is my older sister, Kara. As Paul and I said, she would be on eventually. And this is... (laughs) Yeah, this is the episode with Kara, so... So I guess I'm supposed to introduce myself first? Yep. Okay. So I'm Kara. I'm seven years older than Catherine, so I was very excited when she was born. (laughs) But I heard Paul say he was the original sci-fi reader at our house, which I don't think was quite true. But I used to read, my biggest sci-fi fan was definitely Michael Crichton. I read a lot of his books. I liked them because they have a lot of like real science in them as well as fiction. They really bring out the science side of science fiction. I'm not sure I've actually read any of his books. Jurassic Park? Oh, yeah. I couldn't think of that, but I'm dumb. Well, and that one's kind of different than a... It, that one, too, has a lot of like math, like chaos theory, especially a lot more in the book than in the movie. I knew that was a book long before I knew it was a movie. Someone asked me if I liked Jurassic Park, and I started giving my opinions on the book in high school, and they looked at me like I had developed three heads. Probably you got the book from my bookshelf. (laughs) I I don't know. I Um, probably did. I used to read everything on your bookshelf. These days, I have three small kids, so I probably read a lot more children's books than science fiction, but I do have a history of reading a lot of science fiction. Do you think Neil Gaiman's book about a panda that sneezes is science fiction? There's not much science. (laughs) But it is pretty, it's a good book. (laughs) Chew. I recommend it. (laughs) The first one really has no moral, and then he has a follow-up book that the panda actually puts things back together after he sneezes and breaks them. When he breaks the ocean. The first book, he just goes to bed after he sneezes. (laughs) So, they're short reads, if anyone's interested. He breaks the ocean? 
it's very sad. There's a family of mer pandas and a family of whales that are uh, separated because the ocean is broken. He has to sneeze again to put it back together. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> That's probably the closest to science fiction I'm reading now. <laughs> or Magic Treehouse. I mean, Magic Treehouse is sort of historical, but science. They travel in time. I guess that, I don't know. In a few years, I'm sure you'll be reading more sci-fi with the kids. Yes. More free time to read books of my own as well. <laughs> but, okay, I'll do my drink first, then you can do your drink. Okay. So, I'm doing a bourbon Radler, which is a pretty classic German cocktail. And it's just lemonade, or we use Sprite, because it's lemonade or some sort of lemon soda, and then a lager, and then bourbon. And, you know, I, I think it's tasty. I like it. You know, if you like beer and you wish your beer was slightly sweeter, you'll probably like this drink. I think it's pretty good. I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, Kara was suspicious. Well, do you even drink beer usually? I drink, like, wheat beers. I don't like anything hoppy. Yeah. So this is a light beer. So I have a matcha mint julep, which was supposed to sort of be Japanese-themed because of the matcha. And it's just matcha powder, bourbon, simple syrup, and mint and crushed ice and i like it but it's pretty strong yeah i think kara's is good i have to say i do like mine more though just because kara's kind of just tastes like slightly flavored bourbon i didn't really think about the fact that the only other liquid in it was basically ice and a tiny bit of simple syrup when i read the recipe but yeah i think i actually like Catherine's better too and i expected to like mine more i mean i also expected to like yours more so sometimes they surprise you yeah I mean, you know. So are we saying yours wins? I think we are saying mine wins. I forget what happens. Well, I actually don't know what would have happened for this one, I guess. Because usually how it works is that if my guest wins, they get to choose another book to come back and make me read. Okay. And then if I win, there's no consequences for my guests. So no consequences. Not high stakes. I guess if you had won, you could have chosen another TV show for me to watch. That's a big commitment. Yeah. (laughs) I would have limited it to four seasons, though. Okay, that's not fair. I wouldn't have said I'll watch like all 15 seasons of Bones or something. Mm. Or Supernatural. That one has like 18 now. Oh, God. And that show just... I stopped watching after the people that put evil goo in the Turduckins. <laughs> I actually have seen like one episode, but one of my coworkers loves it. <laughs> I really liked it at the beginning when it was just like demons and stuff. And then they just added too many things. Too many things. Yeah. And it that lost tends me. to happen when shows go over like eight seasons. And it went to 18. So who yeah. knows what they were doing. <laughs> who knows what they were doing by the end. <laughs> Could have been anything. <laughs> but yeah. So do you want to give a short plot summary and characters? Yes. Should I start with plot? Yeah. Okay. So this is about the Man in the High Castle TV show, as opposed to the book, which Catherine talked about earlier. The TV show explores a world where the Axis powers control the United States, each ruling the opposite coasts. Juliana Crane, after her sister's death, becomes involved in the resistance against both the Nazis and the Japanese. So the Nazis are on the East Coast and the Japanese are on the West Coast. And in the middle is a neutral zone with no law, kind of like the Wild West. And there's people in it that carry around playing cards that have the faces and names of Jews they want to murder. Yeah, so it's a dangerous place, even if there aren't as many Japanese or Nazis there. It's not still ideal, for sure. But they do never answer the question of where these playing cards come from. That I would assume the Nazis, but I don't know. Probably. 
So as, when Juliana, after her sister dies, goes to the neutral zone and she meets Joe Blake, a mysterious man with his own hidden agenda. Meanwhile, her uh, ex-boyfriend, Frank Frick, who is a Jew who lives in the Japanese area. There are some Jews left in the Japanese area. He's a talented artist, and he finds himself drawn to the resistance against the oppressive regime, and he go- does that through artistic means for the most part. And the other main character storyline in the story is uh, John Smith, who is an Obergruppenführer in the American Reich, so basically a leader in the Nazi party. And his cause is attested as he uncovers secrets that could alter the course of history. He goes through some personal stuff with his family that kind of makes him think about whether he still believes in the Nazi cause. I think his character is just basically meant to show that under the right conditions, he's got a really American name, John Smith, and then he becomes the leader of the Nazis. So it's kind of ironic. Well, I think it's kind of like any of us could have been Nazis in a certain circumstance. And he also, you know, he was a decorated American, like, war hero. And so it's kind of like one of these questions of, like, what would have happened to us if the Nazis had actually won? Right. And him and his wife kind of make a split-second decision to join the Nazis to protect their family. They have a young baby, and that leads to the rest of his pretty evil decisions. Yeah. Okay, anything else for the... I mean, I think that's a pretty good plot summary, yeah. Okay. Eleni, you want to mention the characters briefly? Okay, so I guess the main character... Yeah, she's definitely the main character. Yeah, she's the main character. Juliana Crane. She's played by Alexa Davalos. She becomes involved in the Resistance after her sister's death, and we kind of see her in different ways involved in the Resistance throughout the show and throughout the multiverse the next character is kind of a big character is joe blake played by luke kleintech he's a mysterious man with a secret agenda his allegiance is not always clear and he navigates the complex political landscape should i say his allegiance or not i mean it's pretty obvious in the beginning you think if you learn it immediately he's a nazi yes he's sort of a nazi he kind of is a flip-flopper but he's involved with the nazis (laughs) well really he's just Thinks Juliana Crane is hot. In yeah, that kind true. of. He's willing to flip for love. <laughs> yeah. Or is it lust? <laughs> I think it's more lust than love, but you can watch it and be the judge of that. So then there's Frank Frank, played by Rupert Evans. He's Juliana's former boyfriend. He's a talented artist living in the Japanese-controlled San Francisco, and he's also involved in the resistance, and he is also at least historically Jewish. Yeah, but... His family was, like, Christian, but it's, like, one of these things where... Doesn't really matter. If you've got that Jewish ethnicity, the Nazis do not care. Right. Japanese people care slightly less, but still not great. Nah. And then John Smith, played by Rufus Sewell in Obergruppenführer in the American Reich. John Smith is a high-ranking Nazi official and with a complex personality. And he... I guess you'd say he comes off as a family man, but he does some really bad stuff. Well, he kind of values his family above anything else. Which I guess is his only redeeming quality. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard to say. It's it's kind of like, I'll murder Jewish people to protect my family. I'm not sure that is a redeeming quality. So maybe it's not a redeeming quality. The next person to talk about is Trade Minister Tagomi. Played by Carrie he 
Hiroyuki Tagawa. He's a Japanese diplomat with a sense of duty and a desire for peace. Takomi plays a key role in diplomatic relations between the Japanese Empire and the Nazi Reich. Yeah, he's one of... There's an interesting dichotomy in the show between, like, like all the high-ranking Nazis are crazy, right? Because they're the Nazis. And then some of the high-ranking Japanese are also, like, war, war, war. And some of them are like, no, I didn't really approve of the war. Let's meditate and look at cherry blossoms. And I don't want to take responsibility for anything. And some of them are a little bit better. And Tagomi is kind of in that camp. Yeah, I think he's definitely the most sympathetic Japanese character character yeah you kind of sometimes see when you're watching him just like this look in his eyes it's just like how did we get here yeah he definitely doesn't want to be in the situation yeah okay and then the next japanese character is chief inspector kido he's played by joel de la fuente he's a high-ranking japanese official in san francisco he's ruthless in maintaining order and loyalty to the empire and i have to say he's kind of my favorite yeah. He's sympathetic at times, and at other times, he's very brutal. But even... He's complicated in his... He's more... I don't know. He strikes me as more sympathetic most of the time than John Smith, even though he's really not that much better. Right. I Yeah. I don't know why, but I think you're right. I think it might just be that you get the feeling... I think the thing is, is there's... A feeling to him that he would stop if he thought he could. And there's never a feeling that there's a version of time in which John Smith's like, okay, wonderful, we've succeeded, I'm just going to go home and chill now. Yeah. Okay. Helen Smith, played by Chela Horsdale, is John Smith's wife. She's initially portrayed as a supportive wife and mother, but she definitely undergoes significant development as the series progresses and kind of changes her views along the way. Yeah, she's... Honestly, one of the most interesting characters, too. Yeah. Ed McCarthy, played by DJ Qualls. He's um, the best <laughs> friend of Frank Frank, and he also becomes involved in the resistance with Frank and Juliana, and he's willing to basically sacrifice himself for Frank, so he's a very good friend. Yeah, he's just like a pretty chill person who has a pretty chill, happy life until Frank starts going crazy, and he basically risks everything including like the safety of his family members to make sure that frank is okay which is kind of crazy yeah okay then the last character who is also lives in um the japanese states is robert Childen, played by brennan brown he's a san francisco antiques dealer and he is caught up in the political intrigue he really admires the japanese culture which is interesting because they do not treat the white people very well but he kind of looks up to the Japanese people and he sells them American antiques, which they really like. It's interesting because if you've read the book, he's a lot, he is the same character as the character in the book, but he's a lot more sympathetic than in the book. Okay. Because in the book, he's like into Japanese people, but his whole thing is, and now we're really getting to spoiler territory. So if anything that we've said up to this point has made you feel like you want to watch this show, It's definitely a fun show. I would recommend it, but now I'm going to say things that you might not want to know if you want to watch it. But in the book, he's, like, kind of racist. Okay. And he he has a – he's, like, his whole thing is that he wants to sleep with Betty, which – do you remember Betty and Paul? They're that Japanese couple that he, like, rips off. Yes. 
And he has that same dinner in the book that he has in the show where they invite him over and they're like, what do you think of culture? And he realizes at the end of it in the show that they just invited him over basically to practice their skills on a white person. Mm -hmm. And in the book, he basically just like agrees because he like wants to sleep with Betty. Which seems weird and unlikely. Yeah. And he starts like telling them like halfway through the dinner that it's like so great that the Japanese people came because like otherwise like all the black people would have taken the white people over. Interesting. So he's racist against... I was going to ask, was he racist against Japanese or white people or black people, but he, or against black people? He's also sort of racist against Japanese people. Okay. And in this, he's just like... He really admires Japanese culture, but it's not in the same weird way. Yeah. I mean, he definitely admires Japanese culture, especially at the end of the series. You see it, but... Yeah, and he has, like, a woman that he likes to pay to sleep with. Who he always makes dress up like a Japanese woman. Yes, that is interesting. It's it's something. <laughs> it's, it's very strange. It is very strange. Like a, yeah, Japanese fetish almost or something. <laughs> I mean, I guess it is. Not it almost. is. <laughs> and not every actor would agree to play a character with a fetish like that, so. Yeah. I think he is a very good actor. He makes you believe it. I mean, that's kind of an interesting thing about the show is that I didn't really know any of the actors, but they're all good. Yeah. I can't off the top of my head think of like anyone that you're like i don't believe the role they're playing no i'm sure there was someone but the main main cast is pretty great yeah but yeah so now but yeah so also shout out to last but not least hawthorne abinson the man in the high castle himself who's more of a side character than anything else but steven root does a good job playing him as well and he's just a weird man in the book and the show and Stephen Root does a good job portraying him as a weird man and now I am going to give a history but before I do that I'm just going to give Kara a brief summary of the book plot and where the show differs so she knows because she's only watched the show I haven't read the book Catherine didn't recommend it I did not know <laughs> if you listened to the episode last time then you know I don't recommend it but yeah so basically in the book what's going on is that Frank, Frank, and Juliana are married, but you never get to see them together. Juliana's just hanging out in a dojo somewhere in the neutral zone. And Robert Childen has this shop where he's selling things. And he is trying to get Mr. Tagomi, who is an important trade official, but he's a lot less important in the book, a perfect gift for this Swedish guy who's visiting, who is Mr. Baines, the mm -hmm. German. But in the book, Mr. Tagomi doesn't even know oh. that he's a German spy because Mr. Tagomi doesn't know anything. He's not very smart in the book. Well, spy might be a little bit inaccurate. Mr. Baines is a high-ranking German official, Rudolf Wegener, pretending to be Mr. Baines, an undercover Swedish man who is attempting to find a way to prevent a war between Japan and the Nazis in the book and in the show. Okay. And him and Robert Children go back and forth on a bunch of gifts. They choose something. He gives it to Robert Baines, and that's, like, one of the plot lines. And then Juliana's just hanging out in the neutral zone, and she meets Joe Blake as Joe Cinadella, and he gives her this book that everyone's reading, The Grasshopper Lies Heavy. Okay, so that's, like, the version of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, instead of the films 
from across the multiverse talking about different versions of the world like you have in the show. In the book, there's just the one book. It's another version of the world where America won the war, but it's not our world. Okay. It's another one. Okay. And she reads it, and they come up with the idea to come and see the man in the high castle. And as they're going, she realizes that Joe Sinadello wants to go to kill him. So that's why she slits his throat, which also happens. And then she goes and sees the man in the high castle. Well, the B-plot's sort of going on, and it sort of matters, but not really. Robert Children finds the perfect gift for Mr. Baines. The Germans try to kill Mr. Baines and nearly fail because Tagomi shoots them with an antique fake antique gun he has that Frank Frank has. Frank Frank makes American jewelry with Ed, which Robert Children tries to sell to prove to the Japanese that Americans can make jewelry. But I don't actually know if any of it's ever sold. So it's just kind of like a weird thing that's going on. And they're doing that. And then Juliana goes and meets the man in the high castle. And she gets him to admit that the book was written by, what is, what Mr. Togomi's always using? The I Ching? Yeah, so everyone in the book world uses the I Ching. Okay. Which really doesn't make any sense, but they're all super into it. And she gets the man in the high castle to admit that the I Ching is what wrote the book. Okay. And then that's the end. And the whole big reveal is that they're living in the wrong world. And in the real world, the Nazis lost the war. But what does it mean to be living... There's not alive? What does it mean to be living in the wrong world? Unclear. The book ends then. Okay. So that's why, as I said in the last one, I think Philip K. Dick has good ideas. But I think things that are based on his stuff is usually much better than anything he has made. Interesting. But yeah, so it's like... So are Joe uh, Chinadella and... Juliana romantic in the book sort of yes well Juliana meets him and is like he's good looking enough I've been bored maybe I'll go to Denver with him and sleep for him for entertainment she makes him buy her a bunch of like pretty dresses (laughs) (laughs) she just seems very shallow in the book yeah she's not really like that in the show at all the thing about the book is it's just like none of the characters feel like people you like Mm. because Juliana is just kind of like Vibin, she literally just like left her husband because she was like bored. (laughs) (laughs) Which I don't know, I think is not usually an amazing reason. Yeah, not exactly the most redeeming quality. I mean, Juliana definitely has her like character flaws, I think, even in the show. But overall, I think she's mostly sympathetic. Well, I think in the show, it's like she's a person who has flaws, but also redeeming qualities. Where it just feels like everyone in the book only just has flaws. Mm, Interesting. And it's like, if you don't give any of your characters anything I like about them, then why am I... I think that is... Well, maybe not like some of the side characters, but I think that is like one of the most interesting things about the show is that they give even really bad people some redeeming qualities, which makes it a lot more interesting because then you like have to think about uh, that they're real people and not just be like, oh, they're bad. Yeah, which it's like the show builds out from the book in so many interesting ways. You know, like John Smith and Helen are completely new characters along with their three kids. The book does very little in the German area. Mm-hmm. So we get to really see that in the show, which is nice. We get Keto, who is awesome. And we get all these revolution people who are helping Juliana. There's like a real revolution that's going on, which is... In the book, it's kind of unclear why the grasshopper lies heavy actually matters. 
And in the show, it's like the movies matter because they're inciting rebellion in this world. Right. And then they show it to people. It changes their mind because they see what's possible. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's valuable. But. And then they actually do something. It gives them hope. It's people trying. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Before I do the history, I'm just going to add a little bit more to the plot by giving just the overarching problem from each of the four seasons to just give you an idea of what's going on then we'll move on to book history so season one basically juliana discovers that her sister is part of the resistance she has this film she's trying to get this film back to the resistance and at the same time the crown prince of japan visits san francisco someone tries to assassinate him and Kido's trying to figure out how to solve this problem without starting a war with the Germans that he thinks the Japanese would lose. Season two is primarily about the Germans planning to launch a war against the Japanese, and the Japanese led by Kido and Tagomi, tricking the Germans into thinking that they have a nuclear bomb so that the fighting doesn't happen. Then season three is primarily about the Germans discovering the existence of the multiverse and creating this device that allows them to go to different worlds to conquer them all. And Juliana joining forces with some more violent resistance members to really try to stop this. And then season four is the final fight against this machine that lets people go to other worlds that the Nazis have. And also it's about the Japanese deciding if they still are going to hold the West or not because a new group enters the scene, the Black Communist Rebellion, that is violently fighting for a black state in California. And those are like the big overarching things. So... The multiverse becomes more prevalent as it goes on, and also it just becomes more and more characters added. Okay, I'm going to give a little bit about the history, and then we should talk about the multiverse, since I think that's a big thing. But so, the show was created in 2015, and ran four seasons until 2019, and the director of this, Frank Spotnitz, seems to have primarily been known for working on the X-Files beforehand, but he did a really good job at this, so he seems cool. And this was kind of Amazon's, like, first show that people actually liked. Its pilot was Amazon's most watched since the original, like, series development program even began. And a lot of this show actually is filmed in Vancouver, which... When we were looking at the actors, we realized that the actor who plays Helen Smith is from Vancouver. And I was like, oh, that's surprising. And I was like, actually. Maybe it's not. (laughs) Because, you know, it mostly takes place there. Convenient locale. And the big fun controversy about this show was that as part of an advertisement campaign for the season one release that was maybe not really thought out, they paid for an entire New York City subway car to be covered with Nazi and Imperial Japanese flags. And then people were like, what is, what's going on? Yeah, I think people probably would be pretty upset to see swastikas on a subway. Including they had, like, the U.S. flag with 
the like Nazi version of it that you see in the show. And while it's an interesting thing in the show, it probably should not not be in real life, especially if people <laughs> don't realize it's an ad when they first see it. Yeah. So that was an interesting choice. And apparently they took it down after people started being like, what? Unless their purpose was to be controversial to get more attention. I mean... Maybe works. I don't know. That probably was their purpose, but... Be Still s- seems a little too controversial. Maybe yeah. Maybe tone it down a little. Be a little more sensitive. Yeah. You know, the Nazis are... They're bad guys in the show, but... But they're also bad people in real life. Yeah, it's important to remember. And this was nominated for a lot of awards, but over the years it won three, which in 2016 it won Outstanding Cinematography for the first episode. And it won Outstanding Main Title Design, which I thought was kind of interesting because the Edelweiss song was not my favorite when I first heard it. But Is that what Main Title Design means? I think so. Maybe it just means the drawing. If it just means the drawing, I can see that. Because yeah. it's got this, if you haven't seen any of it, you should look it up. It's kind of cool. It's got this slow creeping America with you see like the Nazi Reich going across one side and the Japanese going across the other side and then it being like the final like a different version of the American map and that's kind of cool I pretty much always skipped it when I was watching but I I was pretty slow but I did like the map the map was helpful I liked the map yeah I usually skipped it too I didn't like the song very much and then the other thing that it won was in 2017 it won the best supporting performance by female dramatic series which was for Charlotte Horstow who played Helen Smith the Canadian so I feel like all of her performances were really good and she did have really interesting character development which I hinted at earlier but didn't want to give too many spoilers yeah but I feel like we can talk about it now so her and John have three kids and their oldest kid who is the kid that they make the decision to become Nazis because of is just a baby when the Americans lose the war, and his name is Thomas. And Thomas is your perfect, sweet, all-Nazi teenager. Yep. And, you know, he really believes in the Reich, and he really believes in it helping America, and he also, at the same time, is just a really nice person. Which is definitely interesting to see. But he wasn't really involved in any of the bad things that they had to do to start the Nazi Reich, so I don't think many of the children actually really understand what it means to be a Nazi besides patriotism. Yeah, and it's like he's got that, and he there's an interesting part where later in the show, Juliana gets in trouble with the Japanese authorities because she's always getting in trouble with everyone. (laughs) And she ends up in the Nazi Reich for a while because... John Smith takes her in because he knows that she'll be a card for getting a favor from Joe Blake later. Since John Smith is always dialing up his political favors. Right. So Thomas is then becomes friends with Juliana and we find out that he has it's muscular dystrophy, right? Mm-hmm. Which in the Nazi realm, if you have any sort of genetic disease or maybe just any type of well anything that you can pass it down to your kids right but i think even like any it doesn't i think even if you like had any other type of defect that you couldn't pass on they still probably wouldn't like you well you're a useless eater then right so then that's the phrase that they teach them that be a useless eater if you have anything they think is wrong with you so the 
the official answer of the Nazis is that you have to be basically euthanized if you have any type of genetic disease. So they find out Thomas has it, but they don't tell him because, well, first John Smith finds out mm-hmm. and then Helen finds out, but they are trying to hide it from the Nazi government because they obviously don't want him to be killed. John kills Thomas's doctor. Because he was going to kill him or tell the Nazis to kill him. Which is kind of one of the only moments you really see of humanizing of John. Right, where he officially goes against the Nazi regime. And Thomas starts having seizures, which is a common side effect of muscular dystrophy. But it's one of these things where it's like if you understand it and like treat it and are looked after it you can actually live like a decently long life with this disease but of course the nazis don't care so they have arranged for him to secretly win an award to south america so that he can go there and be free from the government and just live his life out there but he knows something is wrong and he asks his parents and there's a scene where he sits with john and john tells him that he loves him and it's going to be like fine and he's going to arrange for him to be safe somewhere else But unfortunately, Thomas, growing up as a good Nazi boy, believes the Nazi ideology and believes that he is a useless eater. And he ultimately decides to turn himself in. And although uh, Helen tries to stop him, she's not able to. And he is killed and becomes a Nazi hero of the Reich for giving himself up as a useless eater. And it's one of the most honestly brutal back and forths in the entire show. At the same time, John Smith is in Berlin for performing a service for the Nazi Reich. Though he is also stopping nuclear war. Yes. So that might be one of the more redeeming moments of him as well. Yeah. Sort of. Should we get back to, though, just what happens to Helen after Thomas dies? Yes. But basically after Thomas dies, Helen changes a lot in how she behaves she kind of was a basically up until this point she was a dutiful nazi wife doing all the homemaker things that the nazis want their wives to do and at this point she basically i think her point of view is basically she became a nazi to protect her children and that didn't work out because the nazis (laughs) killed her her children anyways so she doesn't really believe in the cause anymore and she kind of eventually she definitely regrets her decision but at least at this point she's questioning so she kind of goes down rabbit hole of drugs and alcohol and depression mm-hmm. and eventually moves away to Montana where she has a brother who lives in the neutral zone and then she comes back and ends up kind of working with the resistance ultimately yes and it's kind of one of these things it's an interesting question of the show of how sympathetic is she because she does ultimately help them and she does ultimately start questioning the Nazis. But she only does so because Thomas dies. Right. And then after she goes to Montana, her oldest daughter questions her as well as to how the Nazi regime really came to be. And I think that kind of opens her eyes as well to see that her own daughter's turning against her because of the evil things she's done. Yeah, but it's one of these things, it's one of these questions where if Thomas had never gotten sick, would she have ever questioned it? And I think the answer is kind of no. Yeah, I agree. Unless something else, because I feel like she couldn't, or she didn't want to see the pain that basically everyone else had gone through by the Nazis until it came to her own house. 
Yeah. And so it's kind of one of these things where she, at the end, blames John for everything. But I feel like the blame falls equally on her head in some ways. I think they made a decision together and maybe she even pushed him into it. Yeah. Well, he's not really sure. Right. And she's like, you've got to become a Nazi. Which... I can kind of, I guess, I don't sympathize with it, but in the moment where you're like, you have a baby and you think you're going to get killed, you can kind of see where that split second decision would lead to a bad one. Yeah, but it's kind of one of these things where we see other people that were in the American military that survive not as part of the Nazis. Right, and they just kind of, I mean, I think they kind of are part of the Nazi party, but they're not a Nazi officer yes they're they're kind un- of quiet dissenters that just kind of have different jobs and it just feels like he could have been that yes i agree and he wasn't because of helen yeah and then i think once he started he clearly was into the power because he did rise in the ranks and i don't think maybe he would say he had to rise to protect his family but i think that's a hard argument to make. i also think that rising made his family more, more yeah yeah there is also he has this assistant who's like a very loyal assistant and later in the show joe smith kills him and the head of the nazi party is like oh yeah i had just like oh sorry joe blake i had joe blake kill him because you know you can't ever have anyone who knows your secrets and it's like wow yeah that was pretty rough mm-hmm. it is so should we talk about the multiverse now yes so the show has a much better answer to what the films are and the answer is is that there is a multiverse and it's never really made explicitly clear at, like, what events the worlds break into different worlds. But there are hundreds upon hundreds of worlds. And we only ever see the world that they live in. And then we live for a little while in a world that feels fairly similar to ours, I would say. If not exactly, pretty close to ours. And the whole thing is, is that there are certain people that can travel between worlds. But you can only travel to a world where the version of you in that world is dead or never existed or never existed yeah you can't you can't like travel to a world where there's another living one of you yes and that's kind of interesting and there's lots of travelers that come to their world and bring films from their worlds and it's kind of implied that the reason why their world gets so many travelers is because so many people are dead in their world because of the nazis and the japanese that their world is the easiest world for many travelers to pop into. Right, because if you just kill all the Jewish people and all the black people, there's lots of <laughs> people who are dead to travel there. And it's like, wow, yay, exciting. But I- the other interesting thing is the main film, the first one, The Grasshopper Lies Heavy, which mm-hmm. is the book in the book, is not a film from an alternate reality, right? It's the one that Hawthorne Abertson, The Man in the High Castle, fabricated the first film, right? Yes, and then the other ones are actually real things that happened in alternate worlds. But they are interesting because they are used in several situations as if they happened in that world to kind of trick people into making different decisions. Yeah, so we never get the full background on it. But there's a character, the man in the high castle, obviously. And he was someone who worked in film for the war. And after the war, he cobbles together this not great but kind of like sort of believable film of the Americans winning the war. And then somehow he is able to convince travelers 
to bring him films from other places. Which is never super clear how he does that. Yeah, but I think it's one of these things where I think it's like one traveler appears and he like tells them about it and then people from the multiverse know. Right. Because we meet... Um, so Juliana's sister at the very beginning of the show is killed by the Japanese. And we meet a version of her who's a traveler later on. And she seems to have known that she was supposed to come to this world with a film somehow. Right. So presumably travelers are saying, this is the terrible Nazi world, bring them hope, I guess? Yeah, probably something like that. (laughs) Which, you know, makes sort of sense. And then the whole thing is, is that once the Nazis realize this is happening, they make a portal to send people through. Because they want to basically either mine the technology from all the other worlds, but then they also want to take over every world. They don't think it's enough for there to be a Nazi Reich basically ruling. They want to rule all of the world they are in as Nazis, but they also think they should spread across the entire multiverse to take over every world as to be part of the Nazi Reich, which is kind of a crazy ambition, but... Yeah, there. I mean, I think the whole point of it is, though, is that the Nazis are mad. <laughs> There's one point where the Nazis are planning to put an atomic bomb across the Japanese states because they want to control um, that part of the U.S. as well, and actually atomic bombs across basically the whole world to anywhere they don't control. And they try to say, like, once we do this, there'll never be war again. There'll never be... We can just engineer great things and have great technology and there'll be no more disease and no more fighting, which clearly is not an obtainable goal, Mm-mm. but it kind of just shows how crazy are they are to think that. Yeah, that they believe that. But this is where we get to, in my opinion, the most interesting use of the films in the show is, so in our world, as you probably know, the Americans... Uh, detonated an atomic bomb in the Bikini Atolls, which in this world is, of course, part of the Japanese Reich. And Inspector Kido and John Smith have this, like, low-key secret thing going on where they, like, trade information back and forth for the good of both their empires. And Chigomi is in the world that's very similar to our world. And he gets a film of the atomic bomb at the bikini atolls he brings it into his world and he gets keto to give it to john smith and tell him that it's from that world and john smith prevents the nazis from dropping bombs because they think that the bomb that the americans drop on the bikini atolls in our world is a bomb that the Japanese possess in that world. And in reality, the Japanese people don't have an atomic bomb yet. They do later on in the series, but definitely not as powerful as the one the Americans have in the alternate no. world. It's completely the Japanese just BSing them. But it is kind of a, it is an interesting part for John Smith because um, Kido gives it to John Smith because he wants to save the Japanese empire. But John Smith shows it to the leadership presumably because he cares about the people who live in all those places yes so that's kind of interesting well i think he does understand he doesn't want the world to be a complete desert so you can see that he doesn't truly believe with every part of the nazi ideology i think it kind of feels like for john smith it feels like he's someone who 
is sort of pushed into this decision. And then he quickly makes so many terrible decisions with it that he feels like he has to go along with it. Because if he ever was to admit that it was wrong, then he'd have to admit he was a terrible person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, trying to get someone who's been in Scientology for years to back out of it, right? Because it's like, then you've got to admit that everything you put your time and effort into was crazy. Yeah. And he does, at the very end of the show, kind of show some regrets Mm -hmm. of his choices. But in a really interesting thing about him is that we see him in the other worlds. And in the other worlds, he does his best to help Juliana. And he, in the other world, which this is getting slightly confusing, so I hope it's easy to follow, he dies protecting Juliana from a Nazi agent. So we kind of see what he could have been, which is what he kind of says at the end of the show. Like the last thing he says is like, it's, he basically said, I've seen what I could have been in other multiverses. And basically he's the worst version of himself in this one. And he kind of knows it. Yeah. And it's like, how do you live with that? Yeah. And he basically is not really sad to be killed. It seems like at that point, he's kind of ready to go. Yeah. Well, there's, he has these really, eventually in the show, he manages to capture Hawthorne Ebensee and the man in the high castle because he is the only other person along with the man in high castle who have films because Hitler had a big collection. And once Hitler dies, they all go to John Smith. And after capturing the man in the high castle, he asks him all these questions. And finally, the man in the high castle says, this is my last thing I'm going to tell you. You're doomed. You're damned. You're a man who's walked between worlds and meddled with things you shouldn't have. And it's like, oh, wow, okay. (laughs) Yeah, not great to hear. But yeah, it is interesting because Hitler is collecting all these films that travelers get. He's obsessed with them. I don't think he really understands the multiverse, but he knows there's something going on. He's very paranoid. He's seen in the, I think, just the first season of the show before he dies. And so he's basically getting John Smith to collect the films for him, but he won't let anyone else watch them. So basically Hitler and John Smith are the only ones who know the true nature of the films which is what allows John Smith to show it as a real movie to all the other Nazi officials once Hitler dies. Yeah. And then the man in the high castle has seen them and he doesn't really like to show them to people either. But he's just, and this is kind of fun, he's just like a weird, reclusive man. He likes to speak in riddles and mess with people. And the first few times that he sees Juliana, he just completely messes with her head. And tells her all of these confusing things. (laughs) But he does basically say that, like, Juliana is very important to the world, which I guess he knows because he's watched all these films from other worlds. And he's seen that in almost every world, they do drop the atomic bomb. And basically, Juliana's actions could stop them from dropping the atomic bomb, which is ultimately what happens. And that's also when he talks about when he meets Juliana the first time is that Most people are very different in all the worlds, depending on their circumstances. But Juliana is always the same. But also, like, you can see that with, like, John Smith, where he's really bad in our world. But in the alternate world, he's kind of a nice guy. Yeah. In the other world, he just is this average man, you know. He he doesn't have any daughters. He just has a son named Thomas. And he 
is a traveling salesman and he's sweet, you know. Mm-hmm. He really loves his wife. He goes to dance nights. He he suspects that something is weird with Juliana in the other worlds. Like he doesn't know what is up with her, but he still does his best to help her. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing though that I think is interesting in the other world that kind of shows that some things don't change is that Thomas is a very trusting patriotic youth who volunteers for the American army. Right. So it's like your nature is similar, but your circumstances can change a lot, which I think is just like an interesting thing to ponder in your own life that basically everyone could be evil in a weird, not to be too dark, (laughs) but I think it's important to guard yourself against that because just a split second decision, Mm -hmm. you could find yourself somewhere you don't want to be. And then we all have the capability for, I guess, evil or good. And I think it's important to remember, too, because I think sometimes we have a tendency to think of, for instance, like all of the Nazis as people that were irredeemably evil, that were like another like breed of monsters that's like, un, you know, at, not at all adjacent to ourselves. And some of them were, obviously, but some of them also just like were people that just kind of walked down a terrible rabbit hole and I feel like most of us could have had the potential to do that in certain situations and places right so fun stuff (laughs) okay but yeah so there's a really interesting scene after he has captured Juliana where Juliana is telling him they're like he's trying to interrogate her and she tells him like oh you know all of the way that you trained your son, you know, you couldn't save him from. And he, like, kind of breaks down and leaves. And it's another interesting moment of humanity for him. Right. Because you can tell, I guess, too, like, when he kills the doctor on for his son, mm-hmm. he does really care about his children. And I guess you see that with his daughters as well at several times. There's kind of another subplot where, basically, they're going to kill the, his daughters if they're carriers of muscular dystrophy. But basically, they never end up getting tested. Is that... Yes, so they're about to be tested, and that's when Helen takes them and goes to Montana. And then when they come back, it just, they've somehow slipped through, basically. Well... Is it because he's too important now? Yeah, so in the first few seasons, he's the top, like, military man. And then there is a season where he, is it what, Norman Rockwell? What's the other guy's name? Hoover. But Hoover is the side guy, but then who's the guy who was the head of the political? Yep, Rockwell. Rockwell. Yeah, Sam Rockwell, I think. Either way, he moves up the ranks, which we probably should say. He starts as, like, a military guy, and by the end of it, he is the Reich, Reichsfuhrer, right? Reich Marshal. But then he's the Reichsfuhrer after oh, that, you're at the right. very end of America. So, confusing German ranks, but basically he moves up and is in charge of everything. Yeah, well, he's the political head now, so he kind of just says, you aren't testing my daughters. And they're like, well, okay. And that's kind of interesting, too, is that he does try to protect his daughters. His youngest daughter is still super into Nazism, but his oldest daughter really isn't. And there's a scene where she's playing, like, jazz music, which is not allowed because it's, like... It's black people. Yeah. yeah. It's black people music, and we don't like black we people. Don't listen to black people talk about black people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah in the Nazis. Them. Yeah. And the younger daughter wants to report on her. And he basically lies, so she won't. He says he confiscated the record from someone else, even though it is hers, that she brought back from the neutral zone. Yeah. 
And then he tells his older daughter that she needs to be more careful. And it's kind of like, well, if you really care about her, why did you bring her back here? Yeah, it's hard to know if he brought her back out of a power trip, which is what I kind of think. But then he also talked about how the Resistance people probably wouldn't be super nice if they caught his daughters in the neutral zone. So he did talk about how he was worried about their safety. But then, I mean, it's like the Nazis are super nice to them either when they think they might have a genetic disease. So it's kind of arguable where they're more safe. Well, it's interesting because you kind of think it's a power trip, but then you do find out later that the revolution had had a plan to move on the farm, like right before he brought them back. So then maybe he actually was, I don't know. I don't know if he was protecting them. It's an interesting thing. There's a really interesting scene where in our world, he brings his son, Thomas, the one who eventually joins the American army to a diner. And there's some black people getting arrested. And Thomas is like, should we do something you know those black people are just getting arrested for trying to sit at the lunch counter and he's like no 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 it doesn't matter nothing matters in the political system and thomas is like are you all right you know like what happened to my dad and you can kind of just see how clearly different he is from that john smith mm-hmm. and there's actually kind of interesting so he gets himself killed in the alternate world so that he can go and visit thomas because thomas is alive in the alternate world and then his Thomas wants to join the military and he doesn't want Thomas to join the military because he thinks he'll die. And he's like, well, he has to survive somewhere. And his ultimate plan at the end of the series is to kidnap that Thomas and bring him back to their world so that he can be with him. So I guess that shows that he cares about his son. But even his wife is like, yeah, don't do that. We like, I love Thomas, but he leave him where he is. Our world is messed up. Yeah. And kidnapping a kid to be with you who isn't actually your kid. He's the other Helen's kid is not great yeah and it's also like i don't know what's the ethics of like going into another world and like immediately like sleeping with another version of your wife yeah kind of messed up it's a bit weird but you know well his him and his wife weren't doing too well in his (laughs) world so i guess he was missing the companionship (laughs) which i guess this is the last thing i will say about john smith is we haven't really talked about baines yet Mm-hmm. who Mr. Baines is supposedly Swedish, but he is a German who sneaks into the Japanese territory where he's not supposed to be to give a film to the Japanese to help them make an atomic bomb because he thinks that will help make peace, which is how they know an atomic bomb later. And he's an old friend of John Smith's, and John Smith still catches him and turns him over. And it's a pretty brutal scene, to be honest. Yeah. And it kind of shows that John Smith has basically hardened his heart against anyone but Helen and the kids. Yeah, that's pretty much true. He's basically willing to torture or throw anyone else under the bus in any way. And it's like, oh, wow. That's intense. (laughs) I suppose. But, okay, so who do you want to talk about next? Well, this isn't on our list. But I was just thinking that we talking about Hitler briefly. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about Hitler. That's a good thing to talk about when it's you talk about the Nazis. Interesting, because in the show, Hitler is shown as caring about their alliance with the Japanese, where the people beneath him do not care. People beneath him want to kill all the Japanese people so they can take over all of America. And also because the Japanese people kind of let Jewish people and black people live, sort of. So they... The people under Hitler do are basically trying to rebel against him. Some even kill him 
so they can start a war with the Japanese, where Hitler actually cares about his alliance, which is kind of a weird positive light on Hitler. Yeah. I don't know if he actually would have, but I guess you can't know. I don't know. Well, the other thing, though, too, is is that everyone refuses to talk about it, but he's clearly suffering from some degenerative brain disease. I think he's supposed to have Parkinson's. Yeah, so it's kind of one of these questions of, does he actually care about the alliance? Or is it like, I mean... He's senile. He's senile, but they still do whatever he says. Yeah, but not really. Some of them do. Yeah, some of them do, but enough of them are plotting against him. Yeah, they... and then eventually he does get killed. killed by the people who are plotting against him who want to start a war with the Japanese states. Yeah, so it's kind of... It is weird, because it is sort of like, oh yeah, Hitler's the only thing preventing them from destruction, and I guess it's like, yay, Hitler? Question mark? To put. Is that in the book? No. I mean, in the book... The only guy who's trying to stop them from going to war is Baines, really. Okay. It's really a very... It's really about the Japanese. The book is about the Japanese. Okay. Yeah. And the Germans are sideline characters. But I think we should spend a little bit of time on Kido. Kido's the chief inspector. So mm-hmm. he's like the chief policeman of the Kempatai. Yeah. And the Japanese states. And that's kind of where John Smith starts. But then John Smith moves up politic- politically and Keto does not change pos- change po- change positions <laughs> during the show. Really, he doesn't. Does no, he? he just hangs out there. And I will say, we haven't really talked about this yet, but in my opinion, the most delightful place that we get to like see scenery in the show is Japanese San Francisco. I just love the way that Japanese San Francisco looks. I love the idea of a golden gate bridge that only japanese people can walk across (laughs) it's just delightfully racist (laughs) yeah but in a really interesting way (laughs) you know we get a scene of the crown princess of of japan tentatively like walking around and then like pushing all the white people out of her way and it's like wow okay it's very aesthetically pleasing a lot of this it's interesting to imagine it is a japanese culture in California. Yeah, I, re- I mean, I guess there already is there is Japanese culture in California, but not to the extent <laughs> yeah. in the show. <laughs> but I really enjoyed that. But yeah, so Keto's whole... I mean, literally how Keto was introduced is, as we mentioned earlier, Juliana's sister is killed by the Kempitai. And she is holding this film, this first film, The Grasshopper Lies Heavy, and Juliana takes it and then runs away with it to try to give it to the rebellion rebellion as rudy wanted to and frank is captured trying to figure out where juliana went yep and his sister and her kids are taken in and they are ultimately gassed for being jewish by the kebitai because frank will not say where juliana went because the Kempatai don't really care about you being Jewish, but they're happy to use it against you if they have a reason. Yeah, basically. And so this is kind of our, like, introduction to Inspector Keto. And you're like, wow, this is really, really a terrible man, right? But then at the end of that first season, we have an interesting thing back and forth where the... Germans try to assassinate the crown prince to cause a war. 
And Inspector Kido knows the Japanese would lose that war. So he doesn't want to find the... He does find the German person who did it, but he won't blame that person because he doesn't want to start a war. And so since he hasn't found the person because he claims he hasn't, he is prepared to kill himself to commit... um, What is it? Sediku? Sediku, something like that. We're probably butchering the Japanese. Um, Like honorary suicide rather than endanger the state. Right. And he's all set up to do it when basically he finds out he can uh, frame Frank Frank. Well, his second in command comes in with something to help him frame Frank Frank at the last moment. Which is who he was kind of trying to frame all along. So then like he literally has his sword out ready to disembowel himself for the empire, even though he knows what happened, but just to stop a war. And I think it's something about like, he vowed to find the killer of the, not the killer of the crown prince, the shooter of the crown prince. Yeah. And if he didn't do it within a certain time length, he would have to kill himself because of his vow. Yeah. And it's kind of an interesting moment where it's like, this is a terrible, brutal person, but he does do it for like something he believes in. And like later in the show, he is asked about if he believes the Japanese should remain in San Francisco. And he says he doesn't believe it's worth it anymore. He thinks they should leave. And it feels like he's really grown as a person throughout it. And that he has like learned things and has been trying. And it's like, I don't know. Sometimes I find him, I just find him harder to dislike than John Smith at moments. He's clearly... uh, he does all the brutal things he does, which he does do a lot of brutal he, things. Torture, killing random people to get information. Lots of random people. and But he could tell he clearly does it out of, yeah, a sense of duty. Versus John Smith, you're never even really sure if he actually believes what the Nazis believe. Which, I don't know if that makes him more or less sympathetic. But versus... <laughs> I don't know. I think to me it makes him worse because it's like... He, he, yeah, he doesn't have a true cause. He's just doing it. Well, Kido honestly believes that if he keeps doing what he's doing, they're going to reach a state where no one has to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas... Which some of the Nazis believe. I don't think John Smith does. Now, John Smith is just vibing. Yeah. He's just living his best torture in life. There's a lot of torture in the show. If you're not... Well, maybe not a lot, but more than most shows. So <laughs> yes. if you're not, that is something to... Be warned about. Yeah, it's not necessarily for the faint of heart. If you don't like blood, this show might not be for you. Yeah. But Keto truly believes in his cause. And I think also many of the things he does, he does out of a sense of like duty and authority and not necessarily even his own decisions. He basically, if someone in authority tells him to do something, he doesn't question it. Yeah. Where John Smith is kind of like schemy and trying to go up. Like, I don't... Keto's not really schemy at all. He doesn't even really want to be in power. Right. He does it out of duty. And he basically leaves his family, which he kind of regrets at the end. Because his family is in Japan and he rarely sees them and his children and his wife throughout the show. Because he doesn't think that that basically San Francisco is a place for them to be. He thinks Japan's better. And he basically is in San Francisco out of a sacrifice to the crown. Well, it's kind of interesting that none of the Japanese really want to be in San Francisco. They just feel like they have to hold California so that the Nazis won't take it. 
Right. So it's almost like a sacrifice for everyone who's there out of duty. Yeah. But it's interesting in Keto kind of mirrors John Smith in the way that he also has a son that he kind of fails. So he has a son who he fought in Manchuria. And in China. Yeah. And if anybody knows anything about China, Japanese World War II, it's that the Japanese killed a lot of Chinese. A lot of civilians that they did not need to kill. And I don't know if we always talk about it as much in the Western context because it's like the non-European front of the war. But it was really brutal. And it's whole, the whole thing in the show is that his son has really intense PTSD. And it's keto, you know. He doesn't really know how to talk about feelings. No, he's just like, fight for the Empire. Why don't you want to? And his son's like, well, maybe the Empire isn't worth it. And he basically doesn't understand that. Keto doesn't. No. And or, nor does he really try to. No. At the end, he sacrifices himself in that he agrees to join the Yakuza to save his son. But he still doesn't get it. He just gets that he failed his son. Right. He basically is like, yeah, I should have spent more time with you. And then you would be better. Right. And it's like, well, I mean... I guess you're trying. But he does, where his sense of duty is to the Empire and the Yakuza is basically a crime group, he basically sacrifices everything he believes in most for his son. At the end of the show. So it's like, I don't know. That's kind of a funny analogy, but it kind of, in some ways, Keto feels to me like a really, really, like, conservative like christian like southern man who finds out that his like kids gay and is like i don't know what that means but i guess you're my kid so it's cool because he's just like i have no idea why you wouldn't want to fight for the empire i have no idea what you're going for but i guess you're mine so i'll protect you right and i yeah he just is like i guess he's although he's violent he's kind of like very quiet and contemplative at times and he has this whole relationship with, what did they call the white woman that they pay for companionship? Oh, gosh. One second. Let me find that. She's an interesting character. And he kind of talks about his life and has how he was a far, come from a farmer and how he misses his family in Japan. But at the end of it, he pays to basically free her from her servitude to Japanese. And it, that is, I feel like, is a... I guess the fact that he frees her is a redeeming storyline. Yeah. And he views her as a person, even though they kind of don't view white people as real people as much for the most part. But when he gets to know her, he really actually does care about her. It's Fair. clearly tainted because of their how their relationship began. But. but she, like, she thinks that when he buys her, when he pays, that he's, like, that, she, that she's, like, buying her and... He's literally just paying for her to go free. And I think it's slightly less tainted in that there's no... They just, like, talk. Right. Like, there's a scene where she, like, takes off his glasses. And it's clear that he would, like, like to have sex with her. But he, like, doesn't. Right. I think also out of, like, duty to his wife. And just... I don't think he wants to be in a paid sex relationship. Good. But Yeah. <laughs> a, a plus for that. But... So, yeah, he just, like, becomes friends with this, basically, a white prostitute. And the Yakuza owns her, correct? Mm-hmm. They, own, like, they, like, own all these white people who 
keep companionship for Japanese. And he basically is in the bar because other high-ranking Japanese officials make him come. But in yes. the end, he pays for her to be free because he sees her as a person. And he wants her to be able to go back and join her family. And that's sweet, I think. Yeah, I think it is very sweet. And he, Gina, that's her name. Yes, Gina. I just didn't know what like her position was called, but it doesn't really matter. They go around and they like do drinks and give maybe an escort would be a better. Yeah, I think more they're more escorts. I think that is probably about the term. They give drinks out and they just kind of like talk with the Japanese men and are like, "You're," and they basically are just supposed to tell them they're really great. And it's funny because Kido like doesn't want to talk with her at the beginning, not at all. But then they like kind of develop a relationship because she kind of draws it out of him, and it's and it's... she can kind of see that he's lonely which he is because his family's all in japan and you never really see him with like a friend or no and you never meet his wife no and it's never even really clear if he liked her or if he just felt duty towards her yeah i don't know but yeah and then i think his other big moment of weakness or kindness in the show you could say is that he really he doesn't want to kill frank frank because he feels bad but then frank frank is very mad at him and joins the revolution and does this whole explosion that not only kills a bunch of Japanese people, but kills his beloved assistant, who is just a very loyal Japanese underling, who was the guy who stopped him from killing himself and always had his back. And he dies because he... Was exploded. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but also because he hesitated to kill Frank Frank. Right. And he takes that as a personal front. And in the next season, even though Frank Frank has now renounced violence and is uh, just like a painter, he tracks him down in the wilderness and beheads him. Yeah, that was a pretty dramatic scene. It is. You see Frank's head flying. Yeah. So not for the faint of heart again. Yeah. So since we've talked about the end of Frank, do you want to talk about the beginning of Frank? Yeah. So Frank is... Juliana's pretty much like dutiful boyfriend at the beginning. He wants to create art, but it is not encouraged for white people to create art in the Japanese realm. They basically don't think white people really create anything worthwhile. They don't have woo. Yes. So he works at a place making like American replicas. So they basically make fake guns. Mm. And yeah, he is always kind of nervous about the fact that he's Jewish. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> but he's basically drawn into the whole thing by Juliana. When she runs away, the Japanese people are l- looking for her, so they take it out on him. And he's kind of justifiably angry. It doesn't really feel like Juliana really considers the consequences of what's going to happen to him. She doesn't treat him super well during that part, for sure. I don't know if Juliana ever treats Frank well. She's not best love interest i don't think i think she's very focused on her mission and she doesn't not care that much about how it is impacting people close to her yeah and it's like he he gives up so much for her and but he's very angry because of that and so he joins the revolution and he leads this bombing that kills a bunch of japanese people and also it seems to kill his secondary love interest who I didn't really love her as a character, but she's kind of interesting because she's Japanese-American. And you get to hear a little bit about how her and her family were in a Japanese-American internment camp. 
and they were freed by the Japanese, but they were always looked down upon for the fact that they had left Japan to move to America. Right. The Japanese people, as much as the Nazi people are into, obviously into race, they're into white people, but the Japanese people are pretty into, if you're fully Japan Japanese, if you're from Japan, mm-hmm. they really view you as lesser if you're not fully Japanese from Japan. Yeah. And that's seen in a couple of characters in the show. But. And it is very interesting. And so she helps him out in a few missions and then they have sex and then he's weird towards her because presumably it's like he felt bad about having sex with a Japanese person, which is very strange. Right. I Yeah. I feel like that was one of the weaker parts of the show. Yeah. But something we kind of skipped was... In the first season, pretty soon after Juliana left, when we talked about how the crown prince was shot and they tried to frame Frank Frank for it, Mm. that was because he was there when he was shot and he did have a gun that they made replica guns, but he had bored this gun out, which they Mm -hmm. weren't supposed to do, so it could actually have bullets. So he did have a gun, but he wasn't the one who shot the prince. But basically they tried to frame him because he was there. And that was the point of the show where we talked about his friend Ed, but his friend Ed actually confessed to the crime so that they wouldn't go after Frank. And then they tortured him. Yep. But at the last minute, Frank did manage to save him. And then Frank was also saved as well because it just happened that another resistance person was killed. So they blamed her. Yeah. And... Then they both got out alive, which was pretty lucky, to be honest, and also shows how Ed is the best friend ever. And it dealed with Frank making a deal with the Yakuza, so then they were kind of stuck with the Yakuza, but they were alive. Yeah, which, you know, pretty amazing that he was able to get Ed out, actually. Yeah. Ed was clearly the better friend in the situation, (laughs) although Frank did go back and save him at the end. But yeah, that was pretty amazing that Ed was willing to sacrifice himself and potentially his family, which was interesting but to save frank which i don't think it was clear that frank deserved it but maybe there was some history that we don't see in the show yeah i feel like they go way back (laughs) yeah i don't know i feel like frank though really is not a very good friend to ed in the first season and ed is just there putting his ass on the line for frank yeah yeah it's an interesting relationship but so then Frank is like, I've learned my lesson. No more violence. I'm going to live in this Jewish community and make art. And then he's doing that. And his art is all about kind of like hope and pushing back about against the Japanese. And people are putting it up places. And eventually, when they're doing this art, he's found by Kido. And Kido cuts his head off. And that is the end of our relationship with Frank Frank. <laughs> Although, the la- kind of the last thing they do after he dies is that Ed and this store owner, Children, which we'll talk about later, went and put up a huge banner of his artwork off, I don't know if we know what that building was, but some sort of skyscraper. It's kind of his last hurrah that they put his artwork up again. Yeah, and they put it up in San Francisco. Yes, in San Francisco. That's where the skyscraper. Which is a big deal because before they were doing it in the neutral zone. Right. But yeah, so that concludes this episode with our discussion of frank and next time we're going to talk about children the main character in the book juliana the main character in the show 
to Gomi, who's Kara's favorite, and add in a few more people. So tune in for the second half of this in two weeks, and I hope you had fun. Bye, everyone. Thank you.